Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. G'day. Today is Wednesday, November 1st. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Well, Chase, pending home sales ticked up 1.1% in September, despite significant affordability hurdles weighing on the market. And that's according to data released last Thursday by the National Association of Realtors. In fact, pending home sales mirrored the trend in new home sales, which posted a 12.3% increase in September. And that's uh, regionally, the Northeast and the Midwest and the South had more transactions in September, while the West posted a loss. Year over year, all four regions saw declining transactions. Now, uh, in the words of our buddy Lawrence Yun, despite the slight gain, pending contracts remain at historically low levels due to the highest mortgage rates in 20 years, he said. And furthermore, inventory remains tight, which hinders sales but keeps home prices elevated. So uh, what do you think of this, Chase? Well, Bruce, I think that is actually the bulk of the, the the message, which is that we're still at historically low pending sales rates. And there's some more information we'll cover here in just a minute regarding existing sales and, and the dip that we're experiencing there. It's been a long time since we've seen them this low, hence the word historic, right? So if you look yep. at some of the existing sales Numbers in September, lowest level since 2010, right? 13 years ago. If you look at some of our trends for the annual number, which kind of recently dipped below the seasonally adjusted $4 million mark in September, those would be some of the lowest numbers on an annual basis since the mid-90s. So it's been a long time. And of course, we're well-versed on the factors that are causing this. We're also well-versed in the fact that new construction, albeit is not coming to save us and still not enough, it is a little bit of a bright spot considering that that's newly created inventory and we have these low levels of inventory. I don't think it would surprise anybody if uh, some of that new construction numbers are actually up slightly this year, just given those conditions. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And at the same time, the, the new construction industry is still struggling, right, with cost of materials and labor shortages, which aren't helping in any way, shape or form. You know, I think it's interesting that the, the forecast and AR's forecast for existing home sales is going to drop by 17.5% in 23 and reaching an annual rate of 4.15 million. Now, you and I've been talking about this number for quite a while, actually. And initially, at the beginning of the year, their forecast was for 4.3 million. So they're obviously downgrading what they think based on the numbers that they're seeing. However, they're still predicting that we should see home sales rise in 2024 by about 13.5% to a number of 4.7. Do you agree with them? You know, I'm not sure I do, Bruce, and I hate to get in the business of making predictions. One thing I have learned about the NAR and their uh, projections or predictions, I think those words are almost interchangeable, is they tend to be pretty bullish. <laughs> and they tend to be bullish on the front end, and then they like to revise them down, down, down. We've actually saw that happen last year throughout the year. We're seeing it happen this year throughout the year. So it wouldn't surprise me in the least if this projection of 13.5% growth in unit sales next year was still a little bullish given some of the, the economic factors that we're facing. And yet, 
Who knows? That's one of those things where we can guess all we want. Guess would also be a word interchangeable with prediction or projection. Just a wild ass guess. Our friends over at the NAR are very optimistic and we don't want to fault them for that. We just want to make note of it. Well, and again, I don't want our listeners to hear us as being pessimistic because I don't think we are, Chase. I think we're trying to be as realistic as we possibly can. Right. We just need to understand what the market's doing. And you just have to go out and get your unfair share of it. I mean, there's no two ways about it. That's exactly right. Now, in a related story, Chase, with housing affordability being challenged in a higher mortgage rate environment, fewer home buyers jumped into the market in the third quarter. In fact, buyers that did manage to purchase homes made higher down payments as home price growth remain stubbornly elevated in Q3. And that's according to a new report from LenderLogix. The average of pre-approved borrowers per loan officer fell by 11.6% to just over 24 in Q3. And that's down from 28 in Q2. LenderLogix found the average pre-approval loan amount in Q3 decreased slightly by 2.5% to $295,312 compared to Q2's average loan amount of 302836 So what thinks you of this? Well, a few things, Bruce. I think that, frankly, loan officers are experiencing something very, very similar to what real estate agents are experiencing, and that's, frankly, less transactions available for each of us. Now, that doesn't have to impact how many transactions an individual is doing. We're just looking at the broad number of total transactions and the broad number of either realtors or, in this case, loan officers. So that's going to make the environment more challenging. And there's a great quote in here from the CEO of LenderLogix about that that we can cover. I thought it was interesting that the average down payment size was up 14.5% in Q3, which was up from 13% the previous period. What that indicates to me, Bruce is that a lot of the borrowers that are still in the market are a little less rate sensitive, meaning, in other words, they're able to put more money down if they're trying to mitigate their monthly costs given new interest rates, et cetera. So you're probably seeing some of those less rate sensitive buyers say, hey, you know what? Instead of putting 10% down, maybe I'll put 20. Or instead of putting 20, maybe I'll put 30. And I'll be able to adjust that monthly cost that I'm going to expect as an expense each month that's likely what we're seeing here, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, it, it takes me back to another story that we reported on earlier, which was uh, this year so far, 38% of all first time home buyers who've actually purchased a home had help, right? From, yep. from family or friends in terms of the down payment. So that doesn't surprise me. I think one of the things that does surprise me, and I guess it probably shouldn't, is that conventional loans remain the most popular loan type for pre-approved borrowers with conventional loan share at 75% in Q3. And that was up from 71% in Q2. And FHA loan pre-approval fell to 19% from 22%. Now that sort of does surprise me because you know, that would be people who could get in with a lower down payment, right? Knowing that prices are up, their down payment's going to be smaller. But I think you may be right there, Chase, is they're trying to compensate for the monthly cost by putting in more down payments so their actual borrowed amount is less. Yeah. And that's another indicator that some of those rate sensitive, lower down payment sensitive, different, but in the same vein, buyers are maybe still opting to sit on the sidelines for now, Bruce. And we're experiencing some of that. 
There was a really great quote by the co-founder and CEO of Lender Logics. Uh, his name is Patrick O'Brien. And I felt like he was really channeling his inner Bruce Hardy here when he was talking about the low amount of borrowers per loan officer. He said, there's still business out there for lenders to capture and proactive ongoing communication and education will be key to prospect retention and conversion. And what that sounds to me like is the thing that you remind realtors of often, given the, the circumstances we're facing, is that there's always still more business than you need to accomplish your personal goals. You just have to go out there and proactively, as Patrick shared here, go after it. We'd be remiss if we didn't report real gross domestic product or GDP increased at an annual rate of 4.9% in the third quarter of 2023. Now, that's according to the advance estimate released by the Bureau of Economic Analysis. And in the second quarter, real GDP increased 2.1%. So again, we're getting conflicting information, right, from all of these uh, metrics that, that the Fed measures. And what this says is that the economy is actually on fire, right? 4.9% is a phenomenal rate of growth. And in fact, the GDP estimate is based on source data that's actually incomplete. So we can expect a revision and that revision will come out November 29th. I mean, last quarter, they initially predicted 2.4% growth and then revised it down to 2.1. But at, at coming in at 4.9, it's going to be over four without a doubt, which is going to be interesting to see how the Fed actually responds to this data. What do you think? That is going to be interesting, Bruce, because they've been pretty hawkish on what they're willing to do in terms of the cost of money and the back half of the year here, right? We've got a couple more months and they said, well, we're going to continue to watch closely these factors, one of them being GDP, which is an overall measurement of the, the speed and the growth of the economy. The Fed would like to see it close to about 2% annualized. And here we are thinking it's going to be above four. That's double. So of all the effort they've made to slow down the economy, if not made maybe as much progress as they would like. And so we'll see how they react to that. And matter of fact, one of the leading contributors to that GDP number, Bruce, is still housing, yes. which is pretty fascinating considering here we are talking about the low, historic low number of unit sales happening, but because prices are holding pretty steady and pretty strong in most areas, Housing is still a real contributing factor to that roaring economy. I would point out that there's another important factor to this roaring economy, Bruce, and that is the American consumer's ability to spend. <laughs> and there's, some, there's some information in here I'll share. So they, they measured the disposable personal income and they measured that on a quarterly basis. And the disposable personal income was actually up 1.9% in the third quarter compared to 6.1% in the second quarter. Now, here's the kicker. More money to spend, right? Disposable income. And yet the personal savings rate, which is a percentage of savings as a percentage of personal disposable income was down. So mm -hmm. we have more money to spend and we're saving less of it, meaning we're spending it. And that is a, a massive factor in the fact that the Fed is having a, a challenge slowing down the economy to the degree that they would like. Well, you know, it's sort of as you were describing that, I'm thinking to myself, you know, the American consumer is just a bunch of energizer bunnies, you know, going into the shopping mall and getting online and buying. The money that they're spending, actually, a large part of that is actually on services, which I think is really fascinating. And then, of course, residential spending uh, hasn't gone down. 
So if you, if you look at it, the increase in consumer spending came primarily in housing, utilities, healthcare, financial services and insurance and food services and accommodations, right? So hotels and restaurants. We're obviously as a, as a, a society feeling pretty good about the money that we're making. It's going to see whether or not we can continue to do that and for how long. Yeah, when you see personal savings rates down to 3.8%, which is what it measured in the third quarter versus 5.2% in the second, I would argue that even 5.2% is low, but it's even lower in the third quarter. That is a real pandemic, Bruce. And I know that's a strong word. We've gone through one recently in the world that was pretty devastating, but this super incredibly low personal savings rate, I think is also a pandemic and one that long-term does not lead to anything good. Right. In the short term, it's leading to a quote unquote roaring economy. And yet there's consequences to be had for having such a low savings rate long term. I believe one of those may just be the Fed making some more key decisions on what they do with the cost of money in the coming months. We'll see. Well, indeed. Yeah. And the Fed said their last meeting, right? Higher for longer. Right. And I don't know that we've fully felt the impact of that strategy yet. You know, we've gone higher and it's been a short time and yet we've seen wages increase and people still feeling good about it. But yeah, we're going to see how this plays out, right? We're seeing that savings rate come down, as you said. We're seeing credit card debt going up. And of course, interest rates as a result of what the Fed is doing to slow the economy. We're going to see it kick in at some point. You got to pay the piper sometime. That's right. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode, where we'll interview Rachel Harris with Keller Williams Greater 360 in Poolsbow, Washington. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Apple, Google, or Spotify, or really any major streaming platform to subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening to The Real Look.